Amen. Now, Whitney, I guess I've heard that before, but I don't recall it. That's a good song. It's a good song this morning. And I know that uh, Whitney, she, she knows that. She knows the song that she sung today. And that's what makes, makes it so extra special, I believe. Today, I want to invite your attention to the book of Mark, chapter 1. The book of Mark, chapter number 1. And we're going to look in verses 29 through 39 today. A day of ministry in the life of Jesus. Uh, today, these verses that we look at are really a conclusion of what we, the verses we looked at last uh, Sunday. But as we go through this wonderful and glorious gospel of Mark, I hope that you brought your Bible with you today. And I'm thankful for technology and I'm thankful for screens, uh, but I'm thankful for this book I can set in my lap and I can read. And, and so that'll always, uh, that'll always be special to me, and I hope uh, that it will be for you as well. So let's read today Mark 1 in verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's, mother, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils. And suffered not the devil to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts that we can come as a free people today. Lord, we come with grateful hearts that you've allowed us, Lord, these friends and these family to gather with today. And Lord, we, our desire, my desire today, God, is for you to be uh, the main emphasis of this service, Lord God, for Jesus Christ to be high and lifted up, and God, that we would get ourselves out of the way, that we would get our own desires, ambitions, and Father, that we would fix our hearts and minds solely upon Christ Jesus and God our Father. And Lord, today, we just want to be used by you as my prayer, God, that you would pour uh, out, Lord, the things that you had filled me up with, Lord, as we've studied and prayed over this text. And God, I, I pray that your spirit would do the work that only he can do today. Lord, I pray for men standing across the nation that are proclaiming the gospel. Lord, that you would use them for your glory. Father, I know that uh, we live in a, in a day that we desperately need the word of God. So, Lord, I pray that it would be trumpeted. God, I pray that it would find a fertile soil to, uh, to take root in today. And Lord, may it begin even with me. God, I pray for the kids as they're gathered in next generation today and those who lead and 
teach them, Lord God, that you would just nurture the little hearts, God, that you would bring them uh, to the place and the time that they would make you Lord and Savior of their life. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as we look at this uh, text of Scripture, that in the, the backdrop of this is that uh, Jesus had been uh, to the synagogue that he had taught and that he had taught as one as having authority, unlike the uh, rabbis and the scribes that they were used uh, to hearing, that he was unlike any other teacher that they had ever been exposed to. And there, that uh, through that preaching and teaching of Jesus, that he, he stirred up the demon that was there uh, in the house. And, you know, a Baptist preacher would love to take that and run with it, but we're not going to today, are we? All right? Uh, but he would stir up the demon that was in the house there, and he, he uh, sent him packing uh, that day because he showed that he was powerful even over the devil. So... Uh, after a normal and ordinary run-of-the-mill day at the church uh, that they conclude about lunchtime, synagogue would wrap up around lunchtime usually, and that they uh, proceeded probably not too far uh, from where they were at the synagogue there uh, to Peter's own house there uh, for lunch. So in the synagogue, as he showed his power, uh, there over the demons, he showed his uh, power in a magnificent way. Now, at, at Peter's house, that he shows his power uh, over disease. So from demons to disease, from Satan to sickness, as we see the ministry of Jesus Christ unfolding before us. Now, uh, you know, as you think about that, that there were probably some uh, in the area of 4,000 years, 4,000 years between uh, the time of Jesus' earthly ministry and the life of Adam and Eve when they were brought uh, and created. And so for 4,000 years, as you think about that, that there had been sin and that there had been sickness upon the face of the earth. And for, uh, you know, as you think about that, for argument's sake, uh, that, that, you know, it's going to get worse and worse. That sin, sin and sickness undealt with is not going to get better on its own. Uh, that it is going to continue uh, to get worse and worse and worse. And so can you imagine how rampant uh, sickness was in that day in age. So, uh, at the, you know, at the top of all that, uh, there was no hope. There was no hope of anything getting any better because obviously they had uh, primitive medications, but for the most part, uh, they did not uh, have what was needed for these people to ever uh, get well. So, by the time that Jesus showed up on the sea, uh, that there was sickness that was rampant upon the face of the earth. And that it really devastated the lives and ultimately, uh, prematurely, if you will, I want to use that word, prematurely ended the lives of many, many people. You think about that and that we are blessed today uh, to live uh, some 6,000 years uh, from Adam and Eve, 2,000 years from the life of Jesus and much 
uh, has been our advantage now in these years that we have uh, we have medicines that are helpful that we have uh, facilities that are helpful that we have entire faculties of institutions that are dedicated uh, to uh, cures and billions of dollars being spent uh, on cures so we have made uh, great strides great strides in medical advancement, but yet in the middle of great strides of medical advancement, is there anybody here that's got an ailment? Yes. We laugh because it's a resounding yes. And you would say, preacher, you don't even know what an ailment is. Right? Yes. Because we've got trouble, that we have sickness, that we have, you know, there's always something that is bothering us. When I, if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you've been to the doctor this week, man, there'd be, there'd be all sorts of people raising their hand because even in the midst of all that we have enjoyed and all that we experience today in modern technology and medicine and all these things, we've got robots that do surgery now, all these things, yet we still Still, that we suffer all sorts of problems. So uh, with that in mind, with all that we enjoy even today, think about uh, living in that time and in that age when they did not, do not have what we currently have today. So as, as Jesus came and ministered among the people that he showed himself uh, as a merciful and a gracious Savior, that he showed himself that through how that he ministered in a, in a physical way. And as he did that in a physical way, consequently, he, he preached and that he showed what he came to do in a spiritual way, all right? That he just not, did, did not only come to, to bring physical healing, more, more importantly even than that, is that he came to bring spiritual healing, all right? And so he used uh, the, the physical world uh, to demonstrate what he desired to do in the spiritual world as he brought help and hope and healing that he gave a little glimpse of all that he desired to do to every man's heart and life. He gave us a little glimpse of what it's going to be like one day when we get to heaven when there's no more of this because of what Christ Jesus has done. And so what a glorious thing that Jesus did as he ministered and he gave hope to the body, but he gave hope to the soul as well as he ministered among people. So today, as we look at a day of ministry in the life of Jesus, there's three things in these verses of Scripture. In verse 29 through 34, 29 through 34, we see the proof of Jesus' ministry, the proof of Jesus' ministry. And then, in verse number 35, verse number 35, we see the power, the power of Jesus' ministry. And then 36 through 39, we see the priority, the priority of Jesus' ministry. So, we see the proof, we see the power, and we see the priority. Those three things, as we walk through uh, these verses together in a day in the life of ministry with Jesus. You know, as we see in verse uh, number 29 here, 
It says, and forthwith, or, or just immediately, straightway, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So uh, Jesus, uh, he, he starts his uh, travel back to the house uh, with, with the four starter set disciples, I guess you would say, uh, those that he initially chose uh, to begin uh, his discipleship with. Uh, it was a very eventful day at the synagogue, and can you go there? You know that as I go through the Gospels, I love uh, to try to put myself there in that setting and in that day. So as we go through this text today, I want you to do the very same thing, to try to put yourself in that moment as you're walking there with Jesus as you are there with those disciples and you are dialoguing, you're talking about everything that you had just witnessed, the, what you had heard and what you had seen take place there in that synagogue that this wasn't their first day on the job but they were still trying to get acclimated to all that Jesus was and to all, and to all that he was doing just trying to get their mind around this but they were walking there to Simon uh, Peter house and and all this is just going through their mind it's you know it's just like a, an overload uh, to their brain trying to catch up with what Jesus had done now uh, Simon Peter and Andrew they were originally from Bethsaida and uh, obviously I because of their their occupation they had found that this uh, this town uh, was more inviting more uh, opportunity were, was there for their trade of fishing and so that they found themselves at uh, Capernaum and uh, we see that Peter had a mother-in-law uh, Peter's wife's mother and that the by not only here, but we also see that confirmed in 1 Corinthians 9, 5 indicates uh, the same. Uh, so he had a family uh, tradition. The Bible doesn't say this. Tradition says he also uh, had at least one child as well. So he had somewhat of a uh, normal, so to speak, a normal uh, existence. So uh, just a short, short stone's throw, just a stone's throw. From where the traditional side of the synagogue is, is also the traditional site of Peter's house. And uh, you can still go and kind of visit those relics uh, even, uh, even today. Uh, you know, it's said that uh, sacred writings and sketches were found there. Uh, on the remains of, the, of that area and that, of that building and all sorts of things like that, uh, they would say uh, that in the first and second century uh, that a church was resident there in that house and a church uh, found its uh, found that as a home there, being a very uh, special place, I believe, in their hearts and minds. And so uh, that's what uh, historians would, would tell us about that. So as we see that Simon's uh, wife's mother, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, says she lay sick of a fever, and they tell him of her. Now, Luke chapter 4 says that she had a great fever. And if you study that word out, that word, it comes from the root meaning fire. That she wasn't just a little bit sick. Oh, she's got a low-grade temp. No, that wasn't what was wrong with her. This gal was sick. She was bad sick. And she was so sick that she was down. Now, you know, today it might not take a whole lot. It, you know, we might, what are we, what's our temperature? 98, 7, 6, 6? I'm 98, 7, all right? <laughs> 
The, our temperature today, 98.7. You know, 99 will not put us down, all right? But in that day and age, they, they couldn't, they didn't have the luxury of just stopping if they didn't feel well. They had things to do. They had a life that they were existing from day to day, all right? And so this woman, if she was down, there was something that was bad wrong with her. And I believe that the indicator is, as we see Luke say, that she had a great fever is that she was extremely ill and it had come on her extremely fast. All right, And sometimes some of the worst illnesses that they come on extremely fast. And that's what happened here because this isn't how they left her when they went to church on, on that Sabbath day. When they came back, she was extremely ill. She had a fever. And if you've got a fever, you have an infection. And so if you have an infection that we would say, hey, take antibiotic. Well, they didn't have what we have today. And so this was a very, uh, very dire, quickly become a very dire situation. Now, what was it? Was it, you know, was it malaria? Was it this? Was it that? Have no idea. Just know that she was sick, kind of like today. Go to the doctor. Come see me in two weeks if you're not better. They don't know what's wrong with you. They just figure you're going to get better in two weeks. That's it. Your doctor here, I love you. I'll come see you when I'm sick. All right. Nonetheless, the, the, the you know, specifics of that is really immaterial. But we see here that this lady was in dire situation. And this, as of all sicknesses that we see Jesus ministering to, it reminds us of our dire situation. Our dire situation, spiritually speaking, that we are in trouble in our life unless that we get some help and get it quick, we're in trouble. And that's what we see here that Jesus, that he come and he came and did something and ministered to her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. Now, you know as well as I do that Jesus didn't have to touch her, that Jesus didn't have to be in the room with her, that Jesus could, could have spoke the word and she'd have got up and she'd have been well. But do you see the, the compassion? Do you see that Jesus got right there personal with her, that he wasn't afraid of her, that he got there where she was at and she Showed love and mercy to her. Amen. Oh, the, the compassion of Christ. That in your life, in my life, that he doesn't treat us like we've got the plague, like we've got the, a d disease of some sort, but he comes to where we are and he ministers to us and he grabs us up personally by the hand and he shares with us and shows us his love and he ministers to us. What a great picture we see of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And notice here, and immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto him, them. Now, she, she didn't get just kind of feeling better. She got healed. She was well. She was 100% cured. What a great picture of salvation that we get cured of this illness when Jesus comes and meets our need. What a great picture here. Now, you know, the world 
was in that day. And the world still has to deal with those people who claim to be healers. You know, there are all sorts of people back then, and there's still people today that they claim to have the, the power and the ability uh, to heal. You know, Jesus, as he healed people, that it was undeniable. As Jesus healed people, it was unmistakable. You know, and that's what he does in our heart and life. When Jesus comes and he brings healing to our soul, it's undeniable and it's unmistakable that Jesus has done something in our life. And that's what we see here is undeniable, the power of Jesus Christ that he, uh, that he showed in that moment. You see, that the disabilities and the infirmities that Jesus dealt with and that Jesus ministered to, uh, that, you know, sometimes the Bible will say, and they were lame from birth. This wasn't some drummed up something. This wasn't a hoax that Jesus didn't have one of his disciples going through a crowd with a micro, hidden microphone trying to find out, now what's your problem today and where'd you come from? And Jesus back here in a little room listening in so that he would know what to say to him when he saw him. <laughs> no! Not like those fake healers we see today. No, Jesus, he didn't need any help from these measly little disciples. He showed up, he knew their need, and he had the power to deal with it. Friend, that's what he did. That there, that moment, that time, instantaneously, he, he, what did he, he do to the, to the lame person on the mat? take up your bed and walk. Not come see me in a little while. No, you're healed right now. That's power. The power that only Jesus Christ can exhibit and only Jesus Christ can show. And through that, that he was building a case, he wasn't doing it in a courtroom. But he was doing it among men and women, building a case for who he is. You know, that's why it's important that you and I today, 2,000 years later, that we get in this book... That's why it's important for you and I today that we get in this gospel. So I've, I've heard people say, those gospels, they're not deep enough. But it's deep stuff you start trying to figure out who Jesus is. But I'll tell you what, it may not be deep enough for you, but it's deep enough that it'll show you who God is through His through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you get a hold of who Jesus is, it'll change the rest of your life. That's how deep it is. If you'll get a hold of Jesus, and if I'll get a hold of Jesus. And she ministered unto them. But then she was able. As she got up, she got busy. Once Christ touched her life, she got to work. Look at 32. And at even... When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. We see from lunch until 6 o'clock, we kind of have this space here where he healed uh, the mother-in-law and they ate lunch and that sort of thing. But it seems like it had a fairly calm afternoon after that. But then when even come, it's like, kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. Why, why, why did it just happen like that? Well... That's the only time they could do anything. Remember, it's a Sabbath day. They were laid up. They were holed up. 
They couldn't carry any sick person in. They couldn't help any sick person get to Jesus. But at sundown, they could. Somebody said they had to see three stars or something. I don't know. I don't know about that. I wasn't there. I don't know. It was even. They could be out and about. They could help these sick folk to Jesus. And they sought and, and they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed of devils. So again, we see disease and devils. We see sickness and the power of Satan. And there in, that, in Peter's home that he took an opportunity to bring victory over disease, victory over demons, victory over sickness, victory over Satan. Just one right after another. They were lined up like stove wood. And Jesus said, next, next, next. Do you remember being at service merchandise when you got a number? That's how it was. Next, number one, number two, serving number three. And Jesus. Jesus brought healing to everyone. There was not a case that was too hard for Jesus. Friend, there's still not one case that's too hard for Jesus. Not one. I don't care how tough you are, how mean you are, how sick your soul is. It's not too tough for Jesus today. If you'll come to him, that he'll bring a change in your life, that he'll bring hope, he'll bring peace, he'll bring forgiveness, he'll bring life, he'll bring restoration to you where you're at if you'll come to Jesus today. He'll do it. He's got your number and you're next if you'll come to him today. He says, and many in all the city gathered together at the door and he healed many that were sick of diverse or diverse diseases. Now, when he says many, it's not talking about that he didn't heal some. It just qualifies the fact that there was a multitude of people that came to Jesus that day. And he just ministered and ministered and ministered. And he cast out devils. And look, look, look what he says there in the end of 34. And he suffered not or allowed, didn't allow the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, he did not want, nor did he need the validation of any devil. <laughs> he didn't need that. He didn't want that. Uh, you know, the, the devil, uh, his demons, that they are never out with any good intent. All right? Never. There's never any time when they have good intent. And anything that they could, that they could bring to the ball game was not going to be good. And so even the devil, even demons, they cannot speak a single word without permission. Now that might make you do a happy dance at the right time. At the right time. You need to remember that they couldn't even speak. They couldn't utter a single word without permission. So he had compassion on these sick. He had Great compassion on these that were possessed of demons and that he, through that, that he desired to bring them, yes, physical relief, but he wanted to point to something greater that he came to do, that he came to bring life to them, he came to bring peace to them, he came to bring forgiveness to them, he came to bring them not temporary life, but he came to bring them eternal life. You know, in, you know the ministry and the life of the church, that yes, that we have, as 
I believe as believers, as good citizens of a community, that we have a responsibility to care for physical, tangible needs to our fellow man. But that's not our greatest. That's not our greatest uh, thing that's on our heart and mind, or shouldn't be. Our greatest, our priority one should be that we share the gospel. We share the hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, though missionaries, they would say that, you know, you're going to be able to minister to them spiritually after you've ministered to them physically. And there's, there's definitely some truth in all that. And I believe Jesus got in on that. And we must minister to people physically and tangibly. But let's not ever just stop the cart right there that we've also got to minister spiritually and share the hope of the gospel collectively and do that individually as believers as well, all right? And so we see that being played out in the life of Jesus, that he would suffer and die for humanity's sin and that through the resurrection he would conquer death, all those things that he would do. So through this first part, we see the proof proof of his ministry and he was unlike anybody else but in verse number 35 we see the power the power of his ministry and this may this may you know be a you know of course this this is it how obvious but let's don't neglect it and in the morning rising up a great while before day he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed now as we continue to use our sanctified imaginations for just a minute, as we put ourselves in uh, that situation there that day, as Jesus, for uh, some maybe from six o'clock in the evening on on well up into the night for for hours, maybe four, five, six, seven, who, who knows, for hours upon hours, that Jesus that he ministered. To people and that he, he showed love, that he showed compassion toward people. He, was, he had to be exhausted. There's just something about uh, just interacting with people. You don't, you don't think about the fact this, j- just interacting with people would, would take something out of you. But it does. It just it does. For, for some that you interact with, it takes more out of you, right? I was in a business the other day. He's talking about, it's a pleasure to see each and every one of you. He says, it's a pleasure for some of you when you come in. It's a pleasure for some of you when you leave. <laughs> That's true in life, isn't it? Yeah. Take something out of you. And, you know, and even, even you know, at a, in a, end of a Sunday, end of a Sunday, and Trying, you know, trying to think about all the little conversations that you have with people and, you know, the things they told you that you need to remember and you need to know. And 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 at the end of the Sunday, I'm, you know, my, my brain is mush, is what Charlene used to say, a bowl full of mush. And and uh, and I can only imagine that all that that Jesus as he ministered to all those people, just countless people, one after another, that he was he was tired, he was exhausted from from the day, but and he found himself at, at night, and he found a time of, of rest, I guess you would say. But but I think that a bed a bed wasn't really his greatest need. 
he found that his greatest need was a time alone with the Father. That was his greatest need. No, there's a time when you need physical rest and how important, how important that that really is. And I don't want to discount that at all because I think we saw Elijah, he figured that out. But for Jesus, that he had gotten enough rest before the day broke there at 6 o'clock in the morning. For probably, so let's say from sometime from midnight-ish to well before 6 o'clock. That he, you know, he had slept for four, maybe four or five hours, three or four or five hours. But he knew that more importantly than some time in, with a blanket pulled up over him, that he needed some time just to, to share with the Father and to hear, and to hear from the Father. And that he knew that that was his strength. He knew that that was his power source. He knew that that was his energy. He knew that was his wisdom. That that was his instruction for his life. Instruction for the day that he had. That he went to a solitary place. Now, that word, it means wilderness. It's the same word that we see in chapter 1, as he went through temptation, you know, as he went to the wilderness there and Satan tries to trip him up, that sort of thing. Same thought. That he went to get alone, that he went to where there was no, uh, no noise, no racket, no people. He said to get alone with the Lord. You know, we, we tend to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus and we just... We skip over the fact that, that he, was all, you know, he was all God, but he was all man. Preacher, I need you to explain that to me. I need you to explain that to me, all right? He was all God, he was all man. And in his humanity that he, he, needed, he needed something that he just, just didn't have in human speaking. That he needed to hear from God. That would say, oh, he was Jesus and he went around, you know, just doing what God had told him to do. Yes, but, but God didn't just hand him a sheet of paper. He didn't hand him a notebook when he showed up in Bethlehem and said, here, you just follow this. But every day, maybe every hour. Oftentimes through the day that he would find himself alone, that he would find himself in prayer, communicating with his father. And that would give him the strength that he needed to minister to people. That would tell him, that would, that would show him what he needed to do and where he needed to do it and how he needed to do it. And I say it often, and I'll continue to say it often. Oh my goodness, if Jesus Christ needed to communicate with God in order to know how to live His life, do not I, do not we need to communicate with God moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, in order to know how to live this crazy life that we're in. Oh my goodness. And yet I think, and yet we think that we can do it on our own. 
that we've got a plan and we're going to do it. This is what I've got determined to do for the day. This is what I've got determined to do with my life. And I don't need anybody. I'm going to set my sails and I'm going to do it. But yet, I believe that the example that we see before us is that Jesus lived much more dependent upon the direction and the encouragement of the Father than I do. And I think you'd probably have to say then you do as well. But he often finds, we often see him in Scripture praying that his life, that his ministry, if nothing else, that we can say that it is marked by prayer. We specifically see every major decision that happens in Jesus' life, that it is, that is uh, prayer is, precedes it, preceded in prayer. You know, and that he's so simple that he, he even prays before he eats. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And yet that's how Jesus found his power. And I don't think that there is any other way to have power, to minister power, to live our lives. We cannot dance around prayer and ever expect to have power in our life. You find people throughout history that God has used in a mighty way that they have been people that have surrendered to God's will, that they have petitioned the Lord, that they have said, here I am, Lord, that they have gone to the Lord in prayer, that you read biographies of great people in church history and their lives are marked by prayer. You see that Prayer is more than simply a discipline that we inflict upon ourselves. But discipline is our very, but prayer is our very life source. If we want to know what it is to have the power of God on our lives and to know what to do. There's a zillion people walking around today who say, man, I wish I knew what God would have me to do. I believe that's found through His Word and through prayer. Through His Word and through prayer. I wrote this down, that Jesus could only do what Jesus could only do because Jesus did what only Jesus did. I thunked that up myself. Does that surprise you? Jesus could only do what Jesus could only do because Jesus did what only Jesus did. And at every single point, Jesus surrendered to the plan and that he relied on the power of God the Father. So today, are you surrendering to the plan? And are you relying on the power that only comes through the Father? That's a sobering thought. Friend, that will change our lives if we'll implement that. Lastly, let's look at his priority. His priority. In 36 through 39. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All 
men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. <laughs> Yesterday, we were at Mayfield High School watching some kids play basketball. Campbell Gale, Shields behind me, she said, Gee, Dad, you need to preach. This would be a good spot to haul off and preach, wouldn't it? Gee, Dad, you need to preach. Hey, Jesus need to preach. He said, man, healing and helping folks, that's good. But I've come to preach the gospel. And that's the ministry of Jesus. No, that day is, as you put yourself there, after the word had gotten out of all the people that had been healed and helped and freed, that morning before sun even come up, don't you imagine there was knocking on the door? Don't you imagine that you could hear the hustle and bustle of a crowd like, you know, that, that crowd sound that, that there is, that little, that little buzz, that little hum that must have been pre- prevailing over that, that, that dark night for them? Yes, absolutely. But they found him, the disciples found him, they knew where to go to find him. Seems like that's often the case, that he never goes unfound, that they know where he's at. And when we look at this, that we're reminded that preaching of the good news, that that was really the remedy for mankind. The preaching of the gospel was really what was necessary and what was needful for those people. That everything that he had done yesterday was just pointing to what his desire was for this day. This is what I came for. This is the epitome, this is the pinnacle of his life. It wasn't feeding 5,000, even, you know, that, that was a good thing. It wasn't healing the lame, though that was a good thing. The pinnacle of his life, the primary purpose for his ministry was to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, he said, I've come to bring life. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the primary point of the gospel, the salvation of souls. That's it. That's why we're here today. We're not here today to entertain anyone. We're not here today to please anyone. We're here today for one purpose. That's to lift up Christ. Christ Jesus. And I'm afraid Trace Creek Church is as bad as most churches that we think that we're here to get our itch scratched. I spend way too much of my time listening to complaints and worrying about your complaints. I can't focus sometimes on what I need to do for listening to your griping. And you're better than most. I can only imagine what most people go through. Why does the church not get done what it needs to get done? Because the preacher is worrying about stuff that don't matter a lick. That's why. We got one job. We have one purpose here. 
And that's to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to make you happy. You can go find another preacher and let him try to do that for you. And that'll last till you get upset with him. We have one job, that's to lift up Christ. And his main primary purpose was not to make everybody feel good. He wanted them to feel good. I want you to have a great experience at Trace Creek Church. I want you to. But that's not my primary purpose. My primary purpose is to preach the gospel. That's it. And your primary need is to hear the gospel. My primary need is still to hear the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. You can be saved, not saved, saved, whatever. Your need is the same, Jesus. That's it. And he had one priority that he needed to preach the gospel. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Jesus came to preach the gospel. He came to be the gospel. He came to die for sinful men. We are approaching the holiday season that Christmas is right around the corner and Jesus came to die. He came to die. One reason. And one reason only. Healing the blindness of eyes doesn't cure the blindness of the soul. Doesn't do that. It's temporary. Raising the body from the dead isn't going to give it everlasting life. It's going to die again. But what Jesus came to do, he came to set the captive free. He came to break the chains that bind us. He came to give life and life abundant. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die for you, that he came to die for me. And his death that he died was unlike any other death that had ever been died. He died in my place and he died in yours. He died once so that I wouldn't have to die forever. And he did that for you. He did that for me. Today, the ministry of Jesus, that he loved these people in a love that I can't fathom, and today that he loves you with a love that I can't fathom. He loves you more than I love you. He loves you more than your mama ever loved you. Today, He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants to heal you like you've never been healed before. He wants to give you hope like you've never had before. He wants to give you peace like you've never had in all of your life. That if today of right now, if 
you can make him your Lord. You can receive him and accept him as your own today. Ronnie, I'm, I'm not religious. I'm not. Whoa, stop right there. It's not about what you are or what you aren't. It's about who he is. All right? He's everything. And today, if you'll just accept him, if you'll just repent of your sins, just repent of your sins and accept him as your Lord today, you'll know what his ministry is all about. Jesus proved, he proved that he was not like every other preacher or teacher. He healed and he cared like no one else ever has. He had power on his life like nobody else ever has because he had a relationship with the Father like nobody else ever has. But make no mistake about it, he had a priority. I was to preach the gospel. He cared about the souls of men. Today I care about your soul. Say, Ronnie, you don't know me. Here's what I know. I know you have a soul. And I know this. That it's going to heaven or hell. I know that. And today I want to invite you to Christ. Make him Lord of your life. Fulfill the ministry that Christ had, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I invite you to come to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for these moments in your word today. And God, I pray that your spirit has, has dealt with hearts. And God, as I pray that, that's, I'm confident that he has. But at the same time, Lord, that's his business, what he's done. But Lord, now we're going to have a time, Lord, to give folks a opportunity to respond to that and as they do God my prayer is that you'll continue that work in their heart and life and Lord that you'll draw somebody to you for salvation today maybe someone who is discouraged or disheartened God that you'd encourage them God through your compassion through your grace through your strength God for somebody Lord who's God just uh, searching searching for what you would have for them, God. Lord, I pray that you'd remind them today that through your word and through prayer, prayer, God, you give direction for living. Lord, I pray for that young person today that that's where they're at or maybe even a middle-aged or even an older person, Lord, find themselves in a new season of life. God, that we would rely Rely on you. Father, I I pray that people have receptive hearts to your word today. God, I know that Satan fights tooth and nail. Trying to discourage us from following you. Trying to get our minds distracted. God, I pray this would be a time that it's all about you. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.